so as you guys know, if you've been here for the last few weeks, um, we have been commissioning our own members of this body um, to go out as missionaries um, in a sense that is a little non-traditional um, when you think of what a missionary does. Um, but that's the idea. We, we are um, talking about the idea that each of us can be a missionary in our own daily lives. So today uh, we have the privilege of commissioning Susan Huffman. So Susan, if you will come on up here and have a seat. All right. Uh, So Susan, if you could tell us, please, uh, where have you been called to? And um, what, what is it that you do that you feel you've been called to? Um, I work with small children. I have forever, um, something like 23 years. Um, In the last few years, I've been working at a place called Isabella House. Isabella House is a recovery treatment center for mothers who are recovering from drug and alcohol addictions. The mothers live there with their children for six months. And um, as part of the program, they're not just learning to survive without their addiction, They're learning how to be parents. Uh, Most of them never were parented, and thus they don't know how. And as part of our job, we're not just helping the children who come with a wide variety of emotional, social, and even um, physical problems due to the circumstances that they've been in before they come to us. Anyway, we're also teaching the parents how to be a parent and how to really love their own child and uh, it's kind of it's kind of hard work and it can be heartbreaking but it's also very rewarding and that's where I feel God sends me it's okay breathe you're good all right (laughs) it's okay Uh, so how should we as a congregation as we are sending you out into this mission field be praying for you Um, I need prayer that God gives me the right words to say to help these children and to help their mothers. In many instances, my hands are tied and I can't overtly witness to them. But you never know what they ask. I can always answer. (laughs) And... Even if I'm not allowed to tell them God loves them, they can see God's love through what I do. And that's what I want prayer for, that they see God's love for them through what I do and that they, they learn what they need to better their lives, that they learn they need God. Many of the mothers do start going back to church because They've been associated with it maybe in childhood, and and they know that that's going to help them. And I can encourage that. Um, But other than that, my hands are tied on what I can say. I just guess I want God to shine through me to them. All right, well, we can definitely pray that for you. So um, here's the part where you guys get to be involved. If you would please stand, if you're able, and... um, 
instead of having everyone come up here and lay hands on Susan, we're going to just have you stretch out your hand um, and lay hands in spirit. Father God, we thank you for Susan and for the mission field that you have sent her to. And we ask, Lord, that as she goes to her job every day, that you would be in her and that you would shine through her to her clients and the kids that she works with on a daily basis. Lord, I pray that um, her interactions with them would be such that they glorify you. Lord, that, we, that you would give her the words to say, um, to act as your healing hand for these little children and for their mothers. Lord, we send Susan out um, with love and uh, with the knowledge that you love her and you have sent her, and um, that she is able to do all things through you um, and through your strength. So, Lord, um, we just ask that you would give Susan confidence in knowing that um, she is your representative at Isabella's house. Lord, we thank you for Susan. And Susan, we send you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Um, most of you know me, and if you don't, my name is Nathan. And uh, today I would just like to say that I am a sinner. And so I have a sticker here that clearly says that, in case you didn't know that. And I've been a sinner for decades now. You see, it started when I was young. It started really even before I was born. It started because Adam and Eve decided to take the fruit from the tree instead of obeying God. As I grew up, the sin that was inside me grew too. It changed. You see, I, am a, I have a problem. I am an addict, and I have always been an addict. I've had a problem with sin since the day I was born. When I recommitted myself to Christ some 15 years ago, that problem didn't go away. It more just changed into a sin management problem. I knew the things that I did were wrong, yet I still did them. And I worked incredibly hard at trying to fix them. But I still struggle with the sin. As I grew in Christ over the years, the issues that I struggled with change. But there's still issues and there's still sin in my life. While it may appear now as I get older that I'm a good person, deep down I know that I still struggle with sin, that I am an addict, and that I'm a man who's deeply in need of a savior. Often this knowledge that I struggle with sin, that I'm broken, makes me believe that I am of no use to God until I get it all fixed. You see, Satan takes this lie that I struggle with sin and that I can't be of use to God, and he forces it upon me. He makes me believe that I have to hide, that I have to cower, and I have to wait until the sin is all gone before I can feel comfortable with God using me. As we look through scripture this morning, we're going to see that this is a lie. That God takes these people who are broken like you, like me, like everyone, and he'll use them for great purposes. 
If we listen to this lie, as I often listen to, that we can't be used until we have our act together, we're going to find ourselves buried under six feet of dirt. There's going to be some grass growing on top and maybe some flowers left there by our loved ones. But we're still going to be... It's going to be far too late. Sorry, I'm a bit nervous today. So before we jump into scripture today, let's pray. Father, we ask that you speak today, that the words spoken reflect your heart. We ask, Father, that you be moving in our congregation, that you be shaping our heart to mimic yours, that you be giving us a heart for the broken, and be reminding us that while we're broken, you are still there, and you still have a purpose for us. So today we're going to be looking at two separate passages in Scripture. We're going to be looking at a passage in the New Testament and a passage in the Old Testament, a passage about Moses and a passage about Paul. Both of these men were broken. Both of them sinned against man and also against God, yet God still used them for great purposes. So to give a quick recap about Moses, in case you didn't grow up in the church, Moses was born into a time of adversity. He was born into a time when Pharaoh said, we have too many male Hebrew babies. We should have some population control and get rid of them. So Moses' mother, instead of throwing or letting her son be murdered, put him in a basket, dropped him in a river, and by God's grace, Moses was saved by Pharaoh's daughter. All this said, as Moses grew up, he lived this life of an elite. He lived a life of a, of a prince. But as we listen to Exodus 2, as Elena reads it, we'll see that this all changes. As we listen, I ask that you meditate on this passage, that you ask yourself, what would I be feeling if I were Moses? That you ask yourself, how does this connect to my life? So as soon as Elena gets the remote or the thing on here, we'll listen to her read Exodus 2, 11 through 15. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Thank you. At the end of this passage, we see that Moses quickly changes from this Egyptian elite, this prince, into a murderer, and he flees. The story continues, and we're going to look at it a little bit today, but I recommend that you read it later this week and meditate on it. If we were to look at this life of Moses at this point, we could say that he struggled with sin. We can say that he struggled with anger because he killed a man out of rage, and God specifically tells us that we shouldn't do that. Moses, like you and me, he recognizes his sin, and he runs like I do all the time. See, when I'm broken, I know that I need to run and I hide. I don't often run towards God. However, what really sticks out to me in this passage as I've meditated on it over the last few weeks is that our God, who's holy and mighty, he continues to use Moses as we're going to look at today. 
and he uses him in amazing ways. And I know as I meditate on this passage, if I were Moses, I wouldn't be thinking that God would be using me. One way of reading scripture, as we have done in this church before, is this idea of lectinio divini. I didn't say that right. Um, But it's this idea that as we read scripture, we're going to meditate on it, we're going to pray about it, and we're going to contemplate on it. Um, And this is the way that I typically read scripture, because I can't grasp what's going on in a passage unless I sit down and I quiet my heart, and I read it, and then I meditate on it, and then I look at the passage from different people's viewpoints, pretending that I'm that person as I read. In a moment here, we're going to listen to a really large section of scripture in Exodus 3, and as we listen to this section as it's read, I ask that you meditate on it, that you ask yourself questions like, what would I feel like if I were Moses in this passage? That you ask yourself, If this was happening to me, how would I react? How do I connect with this story personally? Listen now as Elena reads the next section from Exodus 3. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Now look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. (coughs) When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Thank you. As I've read over this passage for this last several weeks, I've meditated on it using this method of 
reading it and pretending that I'm Moses as I'm reading it and trying to feel what Moses would feel and then reading it again and again, praying about it. The first thing that I really struggled with as I read this passage is this concept of, did Moses ever think that he would be used? You see, we see Moses fleeing in Exodus 2.15. Moses is fleeing far away from his God. He's fleeing far away from the sin he committed, and he's just running away. I know that in my life, when I'm struggling with brokenness, which I'm always struggling with brokenness, and I'm always struggling with sin, I have a tendency of running. I have a tendency of hiding and believing that God cannot use me and that I won't allow God to use me until I'm all good. I flee from God until I can get my act together, and I'm guessing that a lot of you are like me, that you flee, that you hide from God when things aren't going quite right. Either that or you're really good and you run towards God. So though I really struggle with this idea of did Moses ever think that he would be of use after he committed this sin? Another thing that I struggle with is this idea of this burning bush. You know, in this passage, as we look at it, we see that God uses his awesome wonder to communicate with Moses. I know that in my life, I've never seen a burning bush, save the one that grows in the garden next door in the fall. Yet I know that God speaks, and he speaks so clearly at times. Let me tell you a few stories. A few weeks ago, one of my coworkers who lives in Atlanta His name is Billy Johnson, and his picture will appear here in a minute. Um, Billy's sister died so suddenly, and she was pretty young, um, and it was a surprise death. Um, But through all of this, my coworker Billy was able to communicate how clearly it is that we know Jesus, that we follow Jesus, and that we love him with our whole heart. If you work in corporate America like I do at a big company, you know that you can't talk about religion. You can press any number of diversity issues, but religion really isn't one of those. Christianity and Christian values, they just aren't valued. But in all of this, my friend Billy was able to speak and remind me that we are to live transparently, showing everyone that we have a Savior and that he loves us and that he has changed us. In my case, usually I try to hide. I don't speak about faith at work. You know, I'm afraid of being sanctioned. I'm afraid of losing my job because I said something that offended somebody. So I just don't say anything. Billy was this reminder that I am to speak. And not just to those people that I know are Christians, but to everyone. So that they know who is my Savior, that they know that I'm a broken man, and that they know that my Savior has saved me. And that I'm to look for every single opportunity to do that because Jesus loves me. One other thing that gripped my heart in this passage as we looked at Moses is this idea of a burning bush. You know, if we look back at this passage, we see that Moses is initially protesting God. He's throwing up these barriers like I throw up of, well, I can't speak. You know, I hate people. I'm not going to go do this. Um, But Moses is doing this. And today, it is really rare for somebody to be spoke to like Moses was spoken to. We don't see this burning bush in our life. We don't see something catch on fire and not burn up. Yet we know that God is speaking, and he speaks so clearly to us at times. Only a few times in my life, and I realize that around you, my life is pretty short um, so far, uh, God has spoke to me so clearly as he did through Billy. Most of the time when God speaks to me, it's through the quiet. It's through the whisper. 
And if my life is busy, as I like my life to be, my life is chaotic, I can't hear God because there's no space to hear that God. So when I have kids running around and I'm going to work at least 40 hours a week and I'm involved in all these different activities and I'm going to college and I'm involved in church, I can't hear God because there's no space to hear God. There's no calm. You see, in a lot of ways, society tells us like we're supposed to do that. It tells us that we're supposed to get ahead at work. It tells us that our kids are supposed to have absolutely everything they need and do absolutely everything they want to do or we're not good parents. It tells us that we're supposed to get ahead. And so on and so on and so on. The list goes on and on about what society tells us. So as I reflect on this passage as I've done for the last few months, I really wonder if we're called to something else as a congregation, as a Christ followers. Is I really wonder if we're called to create these pockets of calm in our life, these pockets of silence in our life, to take a break from filling our lives up with everything that we're called by society to fill our lives up with, and instead empty it out. You see, in this quiet time, in this time without the chaos, God will speak, and it won't take a burning bush. It doesn't take as much to communicate to us when we're calm and we're quiet. I encourage you this week to look through Exodus as you have time, to walk this journey with Moses, and you'll see that Moses, even though God is using him, he still struggles with sin, he still struggles with anger, but God continues to use him. Moses is an example of what you are supposed to be, what I am supposed to be, what everybody who follows Christ is supposed to be. We're supposed to follow God and not get hung up on the sin that's in our lives. As we look through this story, we see the sin creep in and out, but we still see him following. At this point, we've seen how God uses Moses, and I want to jump quickly into the New Testament and look at Paul. Um, and this will be real quick. If you grew up in the church, as many of you have, um, you've heard about Saul or Paul countless times, probably starting in Sunday school class when they pulled out that flannel board and stuck the picture of Paul up getting blinded. But to give a recap here, in case you didn't grow up in church, Paul was a Jewish leader at the time, right after the crucifixion of Christ. Paul would probably be considered one of the best of the best Jewish leaders. He was present at the stoning of St. Stephen, as we see in Acts 7. He was present at the persecution and participated in the per persecution of the early Christian church, as we see in Acts 8. From our view as Christ followers today, or if we were back then as we were reading the passage, we would say that Saul struggled with sin. He was killing us if we were back then. Yet as we continue to look at this passage as we read in Acts 9, and we'll listen to in a few moments here, we'll see that God once again uses a broken, sinful man for his purpose. Please listen as Elena reads. Meditate on the passage. Listen to it from the viewpoint of your Saul or you are Ananias, and what's going on. Think about how it connects to your life. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on the mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. So as we look at this passage, this passage is similar to the passage that we would see with Moses, except, well, it's a completely different story, so it's not similar. But we see this idea of God using somebody who's broken. If we were to read on through the New Testament, which we don't have time to do today, we'd see that God uses Paul in miraculous, amazing ways. You see, he uses Paul to deliver his word to so many people. He was a missionary. He uses Paul to write several books and to communicate so clearly through those books how important it is to seek after Christ. He uses Paul to mentor young Christians, which each and every one of us is called to do, to mentor young Christians. But most of all, we see that Paul changes, and he loves God. He loves Jesus Christ with his whole heart, and that he follows him. We don't have time to read through the whole story today, but I really challenge you this week as we go out that we read through Acts 7 through 9, that we read through the New Testament and through the story of Moses, and we really meditate on this idea of being broken and being used by God. Another thing that I question as we look at this passage is, would I be more like Ananias in this passage, or would I be like Paul? Do I need to be hit over the head with a two-by-four before I respond to God? Or do I need to just have a quick conversation? Most of the time it's a two-by-four. You know, at this point we could go on and on. We could talk about so many different people throughout history, so many people throughout the Bible, and talk about how they were hit by God and they changed their lives and they started serving God. However, 
I don't really like sermons that are long, and I know that this one is already too long, in my opinion, um, because I really think that they should be under 25 minutes, because otherwise you aren't getting across a single point. So how does this apply today? Well, we could ask ourselves, what are the burning bushes in our lives? Have we seen a burning bush? We could ask ourselves, are we making time for God to speak? Are we making time for quiet so that God can speak clearly to us? Or are you like me and you need that burning bush? We could ask ourselves, are we willing to follow God at all costs, even if it doesn't make sense? We could ask ourselves, is our heart more like Saul or Paul? I mean, yeah, Saul or Paul, or Moses? Or are we more like Ananias where we just need a quick conversation? As we look back over scripture, we can see that God uses broken people like you and me. He uses people who struggle with sin, and it's beautiful when he does. He uses people who fight with him, and it's beautiful when he uses those people. He uses people who murder, who lie, who cheat, who do so many wrong things, and it's beautiful when God uses those people. What does it look like in your life? I don't know. However, what I can tell you is that one thing we're called to is we're called to wake up every morning with a hop in our steps and say, we're going to serve God and we're going to live transparently today so people can serve God and see why we serve God. Let me tell you a story and then we're going to wrap up. Some 10 years ago, we moved into our house in Cleveland. Uh, You see, we specifically chose where we lived, and some of you have heard this story before. We chose this neighborhood because, well, it's not the nicest neighborhood. My neighbor was murdered last year. There's drug problems. There's broken homes. There's all these things that go on in neighborhoods. Yet we were called to live in this neighborhood. We had this dream in our hearts of doing some sort of neighborhood ministry, of seeing Christ change this neighborhood, seeing how God would demonstrate his love for our neighbors and seeing true transformation. As the years went on, we never really saw this materialize how we expected. In many ways, I'll be honest, this led to depression in my heart. I've had a broken heart about it. I questioned God and I questioned myself. I said, God, did you really say this to me or was it just a series of bad nights of sleep and some really bad pizza? If you know me, you know me that I'm not outgoing, that I really don't like being in front of people that I really don't like talking to people if I don't know them. And sometimes it'll make me sick if I have to go out and talk to somebody. So I really needed these people to come in and partner with me and say they were going to do this ministry with me. But it never really happened. What I've really learned is that the last 10 years has really been about God teaching me. Teaching me that while I am a sinner, that while I struggle with this brokenness deep inside me, that he's going to use me teaching me that while I don't have the giftings that I want, that he's going to use the giftings that I have for his purposes. He's teaching me that maybe I'm not called to do something grand, but maybe I'm just called to walk through my neighborhoods and pray for my neighbors who live between Maple and Monroe. Teaching me that maybe I'm supposed to grow a huge garden in my front yard so that those people that I don't want to go out and meet, they'll come to me and say they like my garden and then we can talk teaching me that maybe I should be okay with people taking my produce. Maybe I have to be okay when a tool goes missing because it's part of loving my neighbors and accepting them for who they are. 
You see, this growing this garden indirectly solved the problem of me not liking people because it brought those people to me and I have to talk to them. Maybe the part of this process for all of us is really learning to be okay with who we are. Learning to be okay that our stories are all different and they can all be boiled down to a few simple things. They can all be boiled down to this idea of looking and listening and waiting on God and making lots of room for God to speak, lots of quiet. All of our stories can be boiled down to this idea of being on mission and being okay that things change and that God will change how he uses each and one, every one of us. It's all about not discounting ourselves because we're broken and we struggle with sin. You see, we are all addicts to sin, and if we tell ourselves that we aren't addicts to sin, I think we're lying. You can debate me later, but I'm pretty sure we're all lying if we say we don't struggle with sin. But luckily, we have a Savior who loves us abundantly. In Romans, at, I mean, Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let us as a church this week fall on God's grace. Let us listen for his sweet, quiet whisper. Let us make time for his whisper to happen. Let us ask ourselves personally and corporately as a church, how can we serve God? Let us seek after him without needing a burning bush. And let's listen when he speaks. In the next few moments here, we're going to be entering a time of reflection. And there's going to be a song playing in the background, and the words to the song are going to be on the screen. They're also in your bulletin if you want to meditate on them. During this time of reflection, I ask that you think about how has God been speaking to me? That you think about, am I making the pockets of calm in my life where God can talk? Am I requiring God to use a burning bush to talk to me? Or am I really just calming down and listening? So as we listen, please be thinking about this. Think about, are, am I going to be more like Moses and Paul, or am I going to be like Ananias? So listen to the song as it plays. Will your grace run out if I let you down? Cause all I know is how to run. Cause I
As we go out this week, brothers and sisters, I ask that you remember that even though we all struggle with sin, God intends to make us beautiful. Don't discount yourself because you struggle with brokenness and sin. Know that our God, he has grace, that he loves us, and he intends to use us for his mission. Go out and have a good week.